0: This is Regrowth and I'm Matthew Kammerer. On today's episode, we're doing things a bit differently. I'm joined by Josh and Vanessa from the marketing team at Buy, Sell Ads to talk about everything we learned from producing season one of Regrowth. The things we did right, the things we did wrong, and the things we will never ever do again. If you're thinking of launching a podcast or just find delight in our misery, this episode is a must listen. Let's dive in. So one of the things that we did that worked really well diving in on the LinkedIn video train a little bit. So we all did a short video clip and posted it to LinkedIn and all saw different results. I think that we all have different network sizes. And I think we all have different folks that we're connected with. And I saw some interesting insights that were a little bit different than other folks. But do you guys wanna talk about that a little bit?
1: I would say as a team, we probably have an intermediate level of experience with LinkedIn. We don't really use it too much until recently. So doing these videos was a little bit eye-opening for us, key persona for the podcast was intermediate marketers um, kind of looking to take the next step in their careers, looking to get advice or ideas from uh, both customers and marketers at companies that we kind of admire or would like to work with in the future. Um, For us, it tends to be in the kind of tech space, companies that are focused on developers or designers. They're looking to recruit people to their products and once we we got these videos online kind of promoting and the launch of the podcast we started seeing a lot of really cool companies consuming the podcast you know companies like hello sign showed up rackspace atlassian new relic apple um, which is actually a really good indicator that we were kind of right on target for our core personas how did it how did it play out for you guys
2: well, one thing I always find interesting about Buy Sell ads is we're a remote company. So I think in most cases, if we were all based in the same city, we would have seen a lot of the same results in terms of companies. But one thing I really noticed was I think from Drift and HubSpot viewing my video, like most of my people were from Boston, which was pretty cool uh, since I'm not based out of Boston, I've never even been there. So being able to see that reach and see those analytics was pretty cool on the LinkedIn video.
0: So I had a similar result with HubSpot and Drift being really heavy on the top with Boston, but then San Francisco,
1: New York, Chicago, Atlanta, LA. I noticed for me, my results seem to be really circling around Jackie a little bit. Hmm. Um, So Jackie's at Hello Sign; She's a guest of one of our episodes. Awesome episode. Recommend checking that out. Um, But she she worked at New Relic, right? Before she worked at Atlassian? Yeah, exactly. Maybe what's happening is we're piggybacking on the traffic a little bit um, of some of the episode guests we had on which was awesome. That was also something we set out to do. Um, I don't think we were expecting it to play out on LinkedIn that way, but it was definitely an outcome we were hoping for.
2: That's something I find interesting about LinkedIn, though, because a lot of times in marketing circles, people will either be like in the camp that it's great for B2B marketing or that LinkedIn is just what people go to when they want to change jobs. I think we've definitely found that it actually is really good for the B2B outreach stuff, both in our campaigns and this launch.
1: I think it's a little bit sign of times, right? Like I think professionals are kind of getting a little bit tired of the drama surrounding Facebook. Yeah. Um, Twitter can become a bit toxic at times. And if you're just in the market for, you know, opportunities to learn new things, especially on the professional level, I I see more and more people moving towards LinkedIn to do that. Same thing I was going to
0: say. Yeah. Professional development doesn't really have a space anymore because Twitter has been sort of overrun by politics or this and that. And and Facebook has changed what we're seeing so rapidly that it doesn't really fit into the same space even with hobbies you know like it's it's a little bit of a sidestep to where it was before so i think that linkedin has made that jump of a place where you go and you turn on premium to see who's looking at your profile and look at some job offers to a place where you're growing professionally a bit and i don't even know if they made big changes for that effect to happen i think it was all external
1: yeah absolutely and the thing i really like about linkedin versus um facebook We run ads on Facebook predominantly for top of funnel things. So one of our strategies internally is to grow our newsletters through Facebook ads. Um, And that works really well for us. But what we we end up getting is a lot of signups using Gmail accounts and stuff like that. So it's really hard to know who's subscribing to your, your podcast unless you really deep dive these accounts and try and find these people around the internet and deep dive their email addresses. Whereas even just a brief overview, like that LinkedIn gives us, gives us so much more visibility into our targeting and our demographics and whether or not we're missing the mark right away. Um, And it's super valuable for us.
2: So something I think we also did that was kind of different um, and good was that we really picked a niche and we stuck to it. I listen to a lot of marketing podcasts and I find in a lot of cases, only certain episodes actually interest me because they jump around from B2B to B2C to like tactic to strategy, and it's just all over the place. Whereas we really narrowed in on B2B strategy, which I think you know definitely narrows who's going to listen, but definitely uh, also makes us more interesting to the people who actually have something to learn from that or are interested in it.
1: It, it was really interesting coming up with our guest list, right? Because we set out to do a handful, like maybe, I think it was 10 originally, then we ended up scaling back to six. But even during that kind of early brainstorming session, we started like, finding people at companies that were more b2c and we constantly had to remind each other or more specifically vanessa constantly had to remind me um, (laughs) (laughs) that you know b2b was the goal for us um it it's it's a hard thing to do to stay on niche like that especially for a business kind of based podcast
2: yeah and something matthew actually flagged early on too was that Getting B2B guests was probably going to be harder than B2C because B2B tends to be a lot more like secretive and competitive than <laughs> B2C.
1: How do you think that played out, Matthew? Were, were you surprised at how open everyone was, or did you still find while you're recording them to be a little bit more kind of closed off with their secrets? I was surprised at some of
0: the depth that was given. I wouldn't say that I had every question answered that I was looking to have answered. Okay. I dug deeper on some that I would like to have. And, you know, my personality just, leans towards making a joke about something if I, I wanna go deeper. And so people can either laugh that off or be like, oh yeah, well actually we can dive a little deeper. So it made it not quite as uncomfortable as I probably yeah. could have made it. The most important thing for me is people getting practical information out of these things. I don't just wanna tell a biography of, of somebody's work history because we're not looking to replicate somebody else's experience here. So it was interesting. I think the hard part for sticking to B2B, which paid off in the results, is it is harder to produce a set number of interviews, valuable content. The diversity sort of happened organically based on people's experience. So we didn't ask the same questions every podcast by any means. Um, We had a nice specialty that happened pretty organically through each one of our guests' experience. So I enjoyed that part, but it definitely was a lot harder than Vanessa's experience of listening to other marketing shows. If we could go broad on this and just talk about a little bit of anything, We could have a show twice a week and never run out of guests, but it's also not really what we were looking to prove out, right? So do you think that we mixed up our guests enough? I know that we had a nice diversity of folks who joined the show and different levels of experience, but do you think that there is enough diversity? Could we have done
1: anything different or um, what should we do with that? Well, that's a loaded question. So at Bice Lads, Vanessa and I tend to joke a lot that we have like 10 personas that we chase. Um, because we're a two-sided marketplace with mm-hmm. all kinds of different uh, channels and stuff. I think I think we hit the bullseye, like right in the middle of where we needed to be that we could go broad enough to kind of cover all of our personas, but also specific enough that, you know, anything that fell outside of the personas might not be um, as interested in our podcast. Uh, going, if I, if I were to do it over again, I think I would like to see some of our, larger clients or even some feedback from some agencies. Um, cause we do work with them quite a bit. I think they would have a completely different perspective on, you know, marketing and what that looks like than we would say from some of the the companies that we did interview.
2: I think one of our strategies for the first season to get people interested was to get those bigger names. Um, yeah. you know, personally, when you read a headline, that's like, oh, Slack does something or. HubSpot does something, you pay a lot more attention than if they're, you know, a very new startup in the space. Um, so I think that was definitely part of our strategy with who we ended up uh, talking to. Yeah. But that said, like in future seasons, I think it's still our plan to really narrow in on a, a few um, like marketing channels or strategies or ways of thinking. And then I think we can open up the field to a lot of different size companies and not so much just the big people in the space.
1: Yep. Yeah, and that's really important important to kind of highlight because when you're launching any marketing kind of program, but specifically a podcast, if you don't have a go to launch strategy that includes leveraging your guests audience, you're, you're in trouble. It's going to be a really long, slow growth curve. So definitely, you know, kind of keep your eye on people who have followings and people who are already social online, um, and see if you can kind of leverage them to to expand your audience quickly. Um, that said though, I'm like, I'm also a really big fan of talking to the little guys, you know, they're, they're new to an industry. They're doing really crazy things that might not be established because they have to, they have to be scrappy. Um, and it, it's, it would be really interesting to deep dive some of those kind of marketing plans with startups, you know, the, the teams at r 10 or less. Um, I think there'd be a lot to learn there. And a lot to keep us on our toes and kind of push us to be better too and keep trying new things. Talking about that
0: launch strategy a little bit, I think that was one of our major strengths. The the rubric that Vanessa had worked up of like, here are the 15 things we're going to do as soon as this goes live. Yep. How, um, how did we have the insight to do that? I know you guys have a bit of past experience, but it covered everything and more that I could think of from the outside of only ever consuming podcasts and never producing one. But I feel like that was critical and it impressed folks who we worked with. Like they were excited to see the social media images generated and the taglines already prepared and some suggested quotes and, and a few different things. And then those independent, like the independent landing pages that we had uh, as well. All of those yeah. things just um, made the whole experience so much better for the folks who wanted to share it afterwards, who are part of the show. But I think yeah. that that really drove initial growth and, uh, and folks listening and consuming that right off the bat. So
1: how can other people do that? Something that we realized really early in planning stages was that for us to be successful, we, we had to make sure the guests we were having on, we were going to make them look great. And, you know, that was going to include, you know, getting them assets or whatever and, and helping them promote their episodes. Because not a lot of people, like you're saying, think about that. Um, they go and they record a podcast and then it's kind of up to the podcast to promote it. So we wanted to make sure we were giving everyone all the opportunity they could to, to have assets to share on their social networks one of those critical flaws of launching a podcast or any even like app or product is people just assume if they build something, people will show up that, that feel the dreams mentality does not work. Like you have to push the the envelope online. You have to constantly be talking about what you've built or what you're launching. Um, so we looked at it through that lens a little bit and right off the start, we're like, listen, let's, let's have a good launch strategy. Let's make sure, you know, it ended up being something like a six week plan where we were not only just launching podcast episodes we were then taking a week to launch roundup articles and just really spread out the timelines for our launch um and and honestly like most of the high fives for that should go to Vanessa she was really on top of that
2: I will share those high fives with the (laughs) entire team because it was really a team effort (laughs)
0: do you think that if we released like one episode a week after we recorded everything the impact would have been
1: different than pushing every episode out the first day I think if I were to do the launch again, I would probably cut our episodes for launch day in half. So we launched with all of our episodes at once because we wanted people to be able to deep dive them. Um, I think I would probably launch like three and then have a nice week after week episode lined up for three Mm -hmm. weeks. Because what we're seeing was there was a huge influx of interest that day one. And then it's kind of slowing down over time. And the worry now is because we've released everything all at once. People are gonna forget about us by the time we get a podcast out there. So I would definitely recommend at least keeping one in the chamber um, that you can immediately update, you know, within a week or even probably before that, like maybe go three or four days after after launch. That that's definitely a lesson learned.
0: So another piece of feedback we got on Facebook when we were seeing the folks that we interviewed share this as well as in some of the reviews we saw on iTunes was they liked the speed and how we condensed the the podcast into being just the meat. There wasn't a lot of downtime. I kind of wish we had more conversation. I just it was a confidence point for me the first time around. I didn't really feel like I could dive deep into some of these things without throwing people off or even being able to carry the conversation myself. And so I think it was twofold. I think it was partly you guys did yeah. a great job editing that. And so I'd like to hear how you made those decisions, but I also think it was partially on me for not breaking free from sort of our, our core points of,
1: of diving deep on some of those things. Well, I just want to say up front that the growth from episode one through to episode six, I should probably clarify the episodes as they're posted aren't the same order that we recorded them in, but the episodes that in the order that we recorded them from the first to the last, the growth and the change was phenomenal. Like you did a fantastic job of pushing yourself to get better. And by the end, I would say, I I would have assumed you were doing it for years. Like it was phenomenal as for like edits and, you know, this size of, or length of episodes, Vanessa and I are both really good at pointing out the things we really do not like. Um, (laughs) When we were talking about what we wanted the podcast to be, both of us were like, you know, longer episodes are kind of hard to dedicate time to let's keep it short. Um, So we had a hard 30 minute, length for an episode we wanted people to be able to kind of listen on a commute to work Um, and that's about an average commute to work we didn't want people having to come back to an episode that's three hours long Um, so we worked really hard to record as long as we had to but then condense and cut parts of the episodes to get them to that length Um, the other thing that's pretty common is as you get more professional um, editing and you kind of turn into more of a radio show a little bit, you start to realize not everything is worth publishing online. And then there's also some duplication in stories or points that one guest may make that another guest has made better. Um, So we just kind of look to take those out. So do you wait to edit
0: everything until the end to make sure you don't have that overlap? We had that advantage because we were saving everything, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we did. So uh, Vanessa and I got together in person, um, which is rare for a remote company um, and for, what was it, three or four of the six episodes, we kind of knocked out rough edits in like two hours maybe.
2: Yeah. But I'd say that that editing process probably wasn't as efficient as no. it could
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that's definitely under our lessons learned, which we should probably talk about. So we went back and forth between editing this thing internally and getting a company to edit it for us. Um, and we, we did some research and got a few companies involved with that process. And one of the one of the biggest hurdles you'll have with launching a podcast internally for buy-in is that a lot of people don't see podcasts as being a scalable program. You know, stakeholders are always a little bit worried about the time that goes into those things. So we were very conscious of how much time we were putting into this thing. And we thought, hey, let's get a professional editor and we can um, get them to do that kind of long edit process. Uh, In hindsight, that probably wasted way more time than it was worth and doubled our workload. That's a little bit like any freelance situation where they're learning your standards and your expectations up front. Um, So it's probably a little bit unfair to expect these amazing edits from them. But for Vanessa and I who have experience in this thing, it ended up being a better better episode once we just kind of took the reins back ourselves.
2: But it does mean that some of the content that's in the articles on our blog about these specific interviews have content in them and Uh, like really great insight in them that actually didn't make it into the podcast because we wrote those before we actually had the final podcast so definitely check those out um, because there are like a few things I think in each blog post that aren't necessarily covered in the podcast
1: that part of the process we duplicated a lot of work and I say we I mean mostly Vanessa Um, yes (laughs) I don't know how many times did you listen to some of those episodes
2: I've listened to all of them like 10 times
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is good because it lets you create awesome articles um, and kind of gives you a really high-level understanding of what's going on collectively across your episodes. But at the same time, it's kind of unnecessary too. So I would recommend making sure you've got your final edits before you set out to do secondary content. We were trying to be too efficient, and it ended up making us really inefficient. Um, So definitely be conscious of that. So one of the things that we set out to do with this podcast was not only create a great podcast obviously but get an opportunity to speak with some customers and ask them some questions that would help us develop our personas a little bit more. Um, normally those conversations are really difficult to have with customers because when you're when they know what you're getting at or why you're asking what you're asking them is kind of to help you sell them better. They can be a little bit standoffish. So one of the ideas when we created this podcast was to create this environment where we were sharing ideas and it would let us weave in some persona-based questions or jobs to be done questions. And it gives you the ability to kind of ask salesy questions to them and kind of get the perspective on things like, you know, why they're buying and how they buy and what they do, what their day-to-days look like. Matthew, how did you find that go?
0: Yeah. So when you're doing a sales pitch to somebody or you're working on a renewal, sometimes when you ask these questions, they can be just completely ignored. Right. So what I tried to do instead was build the trust up front and then create a conversational dialogue where we're asking questions. And they just get in this habit of diving deep and trying to provide that useful information because they know sort of where this content is going and how it'll tie back to their personal brand. So going shallow is not going to help them by any means. So once you get in that pattern, it was really easy to slip in a few questions that I really wanted to know from a sales perspective, working on their account or approaching to work on their account and prospecting them. So I'd ask questions like, how do you move this outside of your unit? Like, how do you measure performance on something like this? How do you make a decision on this versus this? And those questions were not terribly relevant to the broader topics that we were discussing in B2B, but they knew me and they associated, I think these, these questions with me. And so it flowed really nicely. And then we were able to tie in that edit process afterwards and maybe cut some of the things that were not universally applicable, but we could still learn from. That was a cool benefit for us internally that we don't really talk about a whole lot.
1: Yeah. And so when you're doing a podcast for marketing reasons, um, it is really important to have this kind of ideal situation where, yeah, you're you're doing a top of the funnel marketing program where you're getting a new audience, but being able to collect that info in a meaningful way and give it to your sales team or give it to your stakeholders or your leadership teams and be like, hey, listen, this is really what our customers look like and this is what they think about every day and this is how they solve problems. Um, it really adds value internally to a program like a podcast. I think if you
0: are working to validate this as a, a tool or a project inside of your own company, one of the pieces of advice I'd give you is write those things down that you're gaining, that you may be cutting out and like storing in your memory bank, because they're definitely going to change the way that you're doing things. Right. But if you have to validate this to the rest of your company, you need to have some notepad somewhere to point to and say, yeah, oh yeah, here are those five things. Here are those 10 things that we gained as a team when we were working on this. And we plan to keep this on our desk and start to work towards accomplishing some of those goals that we set out to with these questions. Because I think that one of the things that I've had a hard time with, because it's been so spaced out, is like if somebody asks me a pointed question about one interaction I had and how we gained some sort of benefit from it, it's so tough for me to go back and say, oh, yeah, that that response actually triggered this. And then here we are now. And here's where we're going in the future. Yeah. Instead, I'm kind of like, oh, I, I, it definitely happened. I just like have to remember the conversation that happened
1: around it. I mean, we can talk quite literally to this because just last week we had a conversation with the leadership team just being like, okay, so the podcast has launched. It's doing great. We're getting a lot of great feedback. You know, you were talking a lot about getting persona info. So what kind of answers did you receive that help us? And we just had this like pregnant pause moment where we're like, man, we didn't keep track of this. And of course someone was just going to ask us this. Why didn't we? People are going to want to know. And it's not like a go justify what you did for the last six months. But people are genuinely curious about the answers and they're going to make you a better company. Um, So making sure you can take those things and make them actionable to make your internal teams better is definitely something you want to be thinking about through the whole process. Um, One of the things that I would say we should have done better, um, we should have debriefed the persona questions specifically, like we debriefed after each episode, which was awesome. Um, But we should have called out the notes that we had for those kind of persona-based questions. And then we should have made sure we kept raw edits of episodes, which we didn't do. We kept editing them down and getting them towards a the final goal. And then by the time we got there, we realized we didn't really have a clean, raw edit um, where we could just go back and listen to everything, even the stuff we cut out.
2: One thing that's cool about having the podcast, um, just from an internal perspective as well, is sometimes we'll see like questions be asked by sales team members. And it's fun to be able to say like, oh, go and listen to what Moo's senior marketer had to say about that in the transcript. So yes, like keep that kind of encyclopedia of all of the things you really want to get out of it. But it's also, I think, really good to have that transcript to point back to for those little specific questions that come up over time.
1: For us internally, the point of doing this was to challenge our assumptions. I think as marketers, that's probably what your motto should be to begin with, because especially if you're the first marketer at a company or you have a small marketing team and the current company is really established, a lot of things have been decided or a lot of um, programs built based on the information they had at the time. But your job as a marketer is, as a marketer is to get down to the facts. So being able to do these kind of persona interviews help you kind of separate assumptions from realities, helps you build a really accurate profile that's just going to make everyone's lives easier. It's going to make your landing page content clearer. It's going to make your sales teams process and assets like decks clearer. It's just going to shorten sales cycles. It, It can be an uncomfortable thing to have these conversations, but once everyone on your team kind of realizes that you're, you're actually just trying to make things easier for everyone and help them close deals faster, there's going to be a lot more excitement for these types of programs.
0: Yeah. So we haven't really had a big chance to work cross team, Outside of this podcast. Yeah. And so, sort of spurred from our collaboration so far, one of the things that I've taken back into the team that I lead on the sales front is to try to create some projects that have some cross team overlap. So, not only has it given us a, a better foundation to work on projects together, I think, high level before we like facilitated this project together and, and produce a podcast together. Um, some of those early discussions came with hesitation and not really understanding the direction because we didn't have insight into the personality or work style that we had individually. Yeah. And so doing this gave me a, clear indication that everything that you guys touch you put a hundred percent passion into and it gave me the ability to better communicate clearly and also show you my weaknesses right so like i was able to come with ideas uh and you guys were able to craft those into a message yeah but then we've taken that same practice that we've learned from and then tried to bring it into other parts of bsa to create collaboration in in different divisions which Mm -hmm. is like it's kind of crazy to think about we're only 40 something people why wouldn't we work together more yeah. So I think this was a kickoff for at least us to think about how to do this better internally, and it's definitely unique to your company size. And maybe it's talking about inside of your own unit, like maybe you're in a company of five thousand, but your your hundred people or fifty people in your unit don't really touch as frequently. So it was interesting for us on on that. I think that you guys had a similar experience. I hope.
1: Yeah. I am. Um, funny story. So I I had a one on one with a senior executive at BSA last week. Um, Normally those calls are about lead generation and what kind of progress you're making there. And so I, I was asked, like, what is the number one thing that came from this podcast? And I think they were expecting an answer of like, oh, here's 100 leads, right? Like, this is amazing. But really, the first thing I said was, to be honest with you, alignment between sales and marketing on this project has been phenomenal. It's brought the teams closer together. We understand each other. We understand our language a bit better. I think we appreciate each other's struggles a little bit more. And they, they were completely taken back. And by the end of the call, it was like, yeah, that's an amazing thing that came out of this podcast. And yeah, there's other kind of business revenue goals tied to the podcast. But that was always kind of a strategy for us. You know, we work on case studies together. We work on end-to-funnel content together or guides together to help sales team, you know, convert passive interest into active leads. But it kind of ends there. And for marketing, we're so far top of the funnel that I think we become unaligned pretty easily without constant communication. And being able to talk every week about these things and talk about you know the customer persona questions we were looking through was a, like, a phenomenal experience. It, it, I think, aligned the teams better, but also aligned and brought you and Vanessa and I closer together as a unit. Um, which is playing out across, like you were saying, tons of other programs that we're working on. What, what do you think about that, Vanessa?
2: We mostly market to marketers. So it's easy for us to say yeah. at the end of the day, like we are our audience and we aren't necessarily depending on which persona we're trying to reach. So I think that that's something that the sales team really is invaluable for um, is just, you know, speaking to our customer every day and knowing what questions they're asking and what they're worried about and, you know, what other solutions they're using or considering um, is huge. And now that we're all working closer together on this project, I think both through the podcast, we were able to hear that from the customer, but we're also able to get those insights and learnings more often from Matthew's team because they know what we're kind of after now.
1: Yeah, it's really important that I think as a team, you you learn how to leverage each other's strengths, but you also learn how to kind of pave over the weaknesses collectively. Um, great example, really early on in this podcast kind of planning and recording, um, I got a few questions from people being like, how come you're not, you're not doing the hosting. And I'm like, you know what, Matthew talks to these people all day long. I think he's going to be phenomenal at it. And there was a little bit of like, well, I don't know, you know, and he's pretty busy. Um, but in that regard, like I recognize that that was a strength of yours and I'm not, super eloquent. Like for me, it would have been a bit of a struggle. So it was paving over that weakness a little bit. Um, and I think in doing so you make really strong cohesive teams. I, I, I think the, you know, that overarching theme of getting teams realigned and working together across team, like you're saying, is something every company can benefit from. Um, everyone should be striving to do. You'd, you'd be surprised the insights you get from just having those, you know, conversations or cross-pollination on a, even just a weekly basis.
2: Yeah. now Matthew on all of his calls sounds super crystal clear once he learned how to set up his podcast stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: I learned pretty well, not as quickly as I should have that I was, I had the microphone upside down. I think it took me posting a photo of my setup and posting it in Slack, like being proud of everything I had put together. Yeah. Josh is like, wait, you've been recording episodes using your microphone like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that true. It looks yeah. right to me.
2: On that note, we should probably talk about sound quality. Um, and it was a joke we made when we were kind of coming into this episode recording, and that we only realized Matthew was recording right in front of a big window halfway through the season when yeah. we went to go edit it. <laughs> we were like, "Why is it so yeah. echoey?" I
0: look out over my backyard, so I have two big windows right behind my computer screen. So
1: yeah, sound quality is so important, especially for a podcast. If there's too much ambient noise, like you get taken right out of the conversation. You can't unhear the hum or the person chewing or whatever.
0: It's funny, like not a lot of people had a proper room or a setup to go and use when we asked them. And I feel like some of the larger companies probably did, but maybe they didn't know who to ask or how to ask or where to ask. So making sure people have the, the correct setup for this one time 30 or 45 minute thing they're going to do
1: was a challenge. Uh, but I can honestly say, I think, I'm thinking about all of them. I don't think any of them came out poor quality no yeah
2: no i was i was really surprised with the quality because normally because obviously we're remote and matthew did not fly out to every single guest to Mm. sit in a room with them so i was expecting the worst and i was really pleasantly surprised with how it all turned out
1: Yeah, that's one of those things too like if you can like if you have the budget to be in the same room as your guests or you're in one of those cities where every company is represented like a san francisco or new york you definitely want to get people in the same room you definitely want to be able to control mic levels live on the fly you want to be able to see each other's visual cues when they want to speak or they're smiling or laughing it's going to make the podcast easier Um, we didn't have that opportunity being a remote company so it was really important to be able to communicate with each other in a way that kind of replicated that a little bit so for us we just made sure we had a slack channel open between the three of us where we could toss each other notes or whatever or when to expand and when not to expand um, so that led to really good questions um and then the second point of that for audio quality is definitely find an app that you can trust a double-end recording from um, a lot of people do that manually or a lot of people just record you know skype conversations on their computer um, we use Zencaster that's a bit of a plug, but not an ad. Um, (laughs) But it it was phenomenal. Like, we had some problems getting started. But since then, like, it records separate tracks. It'll do a rough audio edit where it will slam all the tracks together. Um, There's a little bit of audio drifting with it. But for the most part, that was a huge, huge headache saver for us.
0: Yeah, giving people warnings up front about what to expect and, and how to plan for this is also critical. Yep. I mean, every application is different, but for Zencaster, if you close it when it's done, if i like to say, thanks so much for joining us, and they closed, then we haven't saved the yep. recording that we just spent an hour on.
1: I was going to say, the other thing you did really great was before each episode, almost all of them, I can't remember if it was all of them, you would have a conversation with the guests a little bit, you'd break the ice, and then you know, you'd say to them, hey, listen, if I just keep asking you questions over and over again, or it feels like I'm being kind of pushy, it's just that I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm trying to dig into something that interests me. It's not me being rude. So if it comes off that way, I apologize. And then warning them that we're going to be editing this. So if something kind of came out weird or funny, or, you know, sometimes some people may have said <laughs> some things that they shouldn't have in a way, or talked about something that they may not be allowed to talk about externally. Um, that there is an opportunity there to kind of take a step back and and clean things up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I enjoy watching and listening to live shows from time to time. But I think for the audience we were speaking to and the content we wanted to get deeper into, gaining that trust and letting people know that we're going to edit this a little bit at the end. So if you do stumble a little bit and you want to pause or you want to completely restart, all of those things are options. And that, especially for somebody who hasn't done an interview before, I think just gave them a breath of, relief. You know, this is going to be okay. And I'm not going to sound like an idiot. Like the goal isn't to portray me as somebody who doesn't know what I'm doing here. So if the insights we shared today have been interesting to you, and you haven't listened to the podcast yet, definitely go to regrowthpodcast.com. Check us out. We've finished up season one and we have planning laid for season two coming up soon. But we want your feedback. So go and listen to season one. If you haven't already, let us know what you like and what you don't like and let's work on season two together. We look forward to talking with you.